Welcome to the Secret Life of Cookies, where we try to solve the world's problems through the miracle of carbohydrates, one recipe at a time, with host Marissa Rothkoff and her dog, Bosco. This latest podcast has everything we need to keep ourselves afloat. We've got hope, cheesecake, and Mary Trump. Plus, we reveal the names of my lesser known but more well-loved siblings. Wait, before we get to the action, just a brief plea to please and thank you. Help us out and please like and leave a review of The Secret Life of Cookies wherever fine podcasts are sold. Okay, now, without further ado, Mary Trump and Cheesecake. Hello to Mary Trump and a welcome back onto The Secret Life of Cookies. I welcome you back and the cat. I mean, forget the Midas touch. We have a cat with Mary Trump in the back there. I don't know where Sebastian is. I hope the cat had nothing to do with Sebastian's absence. No, uh, because Sebastian would would beat Lyndon with his beak tied behind his wing. So, you know, Lyndon knows who's in charge. It's great to be back. I was actually thinking of this as I was attempting to prepare today's offering. And I was thinking, you know, I've been fortunate enough to be on here a couple of times, and I'm probably your least accomplished baker, which is to say I suck at it entirely. (laughs) I appreciate it. But you try the hardest of all my bakers. And that's why everyone who's listening today should know that we're not messing around here. Mary Trump is at a kitchen somewhere on the planet making vegan cheesecake. I think, you know, no matter how grim it gets during this conversation, which I'm planning for it to get real grim. So buckle up, people. At the end of it, if you play along with this, you get a cheesecake. In our case, in this one in particular, it's a vegan cheesecake in honor of Ms. Mary Trump, whose book is now The Reckoning is out for one month. This is your anniversary. So it's worth celebrating with vegan cheesecake. Let's just backtrack a moment. Are you a vegan? I aspire to be as, and I know people find vegans incredibly annoying, but in their defense, I mean, first of all, technically I could never be a vegan because I wear leather and silk. So sorry, but in terms of cuisine, I'm a vegetarian, so it's not that big a leap. I now live in New York city. So that makes it a much easier and I have asthma. So one thing I can't seem to get over is my love of cheese. And yet a few years ago, I was having a terrible time with my asthma. I just gotten some cats when I'm very allergic to them and I wasn't adjusting. So I became a raw food vegan for about two months and I've never been healthier. I stopped needing my inhaler. I had more energy. I needed less sleep. The problem is I'm not a kitchen person and it's like a full-time job, but I recommend it. If you ever win the lottery, Get a raw food vegan chef. Exactly. Get a raw food vegan chef. Absolutely. Um, I'd miss out on a lot of foods that I really, really love, but I understand that people who do it feel fantastic. Um, For me, I would say that cheese actually may be a member of my family. Like I think (laughs) cheese is part of our family tree. I'm sure both of my brothers would agree to that. I grew up with my other, you know, a brie cheese as my um, fourth sibling. Uh, For me, it was American cheese slices. So, you know. Okay. Okay. We also grew up with 
I grew up in a Velveeta house too. So we had Velveeta and Brie. It was very balanced. And Gorgonzola. It was a very, you know, we embodied the American dream. <laughs> I think that all the cheese you could eat. My father had been a, you know, a, a hungry immigrant. This was a good, good deal for him. Let's briefly talk about what we're going to cook, then get um, pumping the iron that we need to do, which is mixing. That sound you hear in the background is my wooden spoon. because. Mary, you inspired me to not use my whisk and instead do it by hand, which I almost did entirely, but I cheated and started off with an electric whisk. And anybody at home, unless you're like the rock or like Popeye with forearms, it's a little challenging to do this all by hand. But, that, you know, that's why we're going to end up with two slightly different cheesecakes. Yours will be <laughs> the vegan berry cheesecake and mine will be the lumpy vegan berry <laughs> cheesecake because like a mouthful of tofu cream cheese. <laughs> One of the challenges with this recipe, I will say, is for me as a non-vegan, there is a taste with vegan, like with tofu cream cheeses and nut because they're mostly nut-based. And it isn't that smooth, tangy, creamy that you get with good old Philadelphia. So I worked at creating a recipe that kind of hid the flavor. Is that bad? Is it bad to say you sort of went go went to try and hide the flavor of tofu cream cheese? No, no. <laughs> Definitely not bad. You know, that is something that's an interesting thing about being a vegetarian or vegan. It's like you get to the it, it, when you start, like you want stuff to taste like the things you've given up. And then you realize that that's really unhealthy. <laughs> right. <laughs> nothing less healthy than a tofu hot dog. But again, this is different. Because this is supposed to be sweet and I, I, I'm not a tofu fan, so I'm totally down with trying to hide the taste of it. My biggest issue is not, I don't really like the smell of coconut oil. Right. And did you use coconut oil on the crust? I did. Okay. I used um, vegan butter. What is that made out of? Coconut oil and, and other things. And like, and all the inexpensive tofu cream cheeses also have a lot of coconut oil in them too, or fake cream cheeses. But I wanted to keep it tangy. So I used yogurt. I used a cashew-based yogurt in it to add some tang and a lot of lemon. And then I added the berries in order to really make sure that just in case you started to get a little bit of tofu undertaste, um, I just made that word up, undertone, you got a berry to like knock it out and go, God, I love raspberries. How delicious. And yeah. I like that. An undertow of tofu. <laughs> the undertone of Very tofu. threatening. Um, <laughs> and I have to confess, I, I did go with the graham cracker crust because I love Oreos, but only as Oreos. So I couldn't quite get over okay. the whole Oreo cheesecake berry thing because mm -hmm. I'm mm -hmm. really unadventurous. I'm well, sorry. for the adventurous out there, I highly recommend the Oreo crust. It also does something to hide the flavor. But it's a very good cheesecake. Any Everybody I've given it to who is at all tolerant of these sorts of things thought it was delicious. And in fact, I fed it to a group of people um, at a birthday party and they were all like, wow. So here we go. <laughs> I'm just trying to think like what, are, like what tiny percentage of people watching this are going to feel motivated to make it. Everybody has a vegan friend who they want to please. Although I mine's baking, it should be done because I wanted to see what it was like live. Um, 
And uh, so we'll see. And I'll be very honest. <laughs> Here's the thing about this cheesecake. Tomorrow is really when you should call me. Yeah, I forgot about the whole cheesecake should be cold thing. Sorry, guys. It's okay. She will write in and uh, tweet us all and tell us what it's like. I just um, squeezed about 25 lemon seeds into the mixture. So I'm going to get a spoon and take those out. Remember to squeeze your lemon over a small sieve. But then we would both have lumpy cheesecake just in a different way. Just trying to make you feel better, Mary. Speaking of feeling better, I don't feel very good. And I don't mean my health. I mean mentally. And I don't think I'm the only one. I think you might be. What's up? (laughs) Stuff happening? Let's just have a quiet moment together. I would say, let's just dive right in there, that there were a lot of us that thought that the minute January 20th happened, we would all be much better. Thankfully, that's due to something that we all carry with us called hope which you talk about a lot in the book. I think throughout the kind of Trump administration, we had moments where there was going to be a good thing, right? We had some hope, the Women's March. We had hope when the Mueller report was coming out. You remember how excited everybody was? It was like our birthday was coming. And by us, I mean sort of liberal media elite types. And here comes my cat to compete with yours. Don't eat it. I think mine left the building. (laughs) Not literally. He's an indoor cat. (laughs) And anybody who um, ever eats our food, trust us, there is no cat fur in any of our food. That's why technically (laughs) this is not going to be (laughs) because it has the animal product known as fur. The only cheesecake you can get a hairball from. (laughs) So we had the Mueller report and we were so excited and we were going to get everything we wanted for Christmas and we didn't. And we were had some impeachment trials, two of them. And then there was going to be that delicious transfer of power. And, and since then, I think my hope has plummeted because there was always this hope that when Trump went away, not you, the other one, we had that hope that that was going to be out there. And in the past month, women across the country woke up to find what out what happened in Texas in this last week. We've seen how the FBI completely disregarded the sexual abuse that was going on in the U.S. gymnastics team and uh, Michigan State University. We see COVID taking off, idiocy abounding, and it's really hard to kind of keep it together. You talk about trauma. Is this trauma? Yes. Yes, it is. Because I I came at this from a vastly different perspective. I mean, don't get me wrong. Obviously, a lot of people, a lot of us knew, and I'm sure including you, and even even your Bree sibling knew. I don't know that people knew quite how cruel he could be, but incompetent, intellectually incurious, unfit, on and on and on. Like a lot of us knew that, but I really knew it. (laughs) You know, I knew it my whole life. I'd seen, I knew about the cruelty. I'd seen how destructive he could be, how like self-centered isn't a strong enough way of putting it, but how willing he would be to do anything to make sure he came first, right? And we see how that's all worked out. So from the beginning, I saw things like the Women's March. 
I saw things like the crowds that came out against the Muslim ban. Don't get me wrong. Those are good things. But it's the first time in my life that I realized that hope is also a way of normalizing the unacceptable because hope includes the belief or is based upon the belief that you can change things. And there wasn't going to be any changing him. And there wasn't going to be any stopping the rush of the Republican Party to become his party. And it took a while for everybody else to see that because it's it's conceding that hope isn't something we can hang on to is very depressing. So, again, I'm not suggesting we be hopeless. I'm not suggesting that. But I, I think we need to be very clear about what it is we're hoping where we're placing our hope and what we're hoping for. And I think for a long time, we were hoping for the wrong things. You know, Mueller was never going to stop being the institutionalist that he is. And I'm worried about that with Merrick Garland. 20 billion people marching in the streets wasn't going to change the course of the four years of Donald's administration. What exacerbates all this is exactly what you just said. We thought it was not nothing was going to get better overnight. Of course, we still had that 75 days to get through after the election was called. We still had COVID to deal with and the economic crisis, et cetera. But we had somebody who believed in American democracy in the White House. We had the first woman and woman of color as our vice president, et cetera. There were all sorts of reasons to be hopeful. And again, that's why we still can be, because if the opposite had happened, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Like it should have been enough that in a rarity in human history, we snatch democracy from the jaws of autocracy. That's really hard to do. And we almost didn't do it. I mean, think about it. Well, let's not think about it. No, let's not. I mentioned I was things were bleak, Mary. Let's yes, sorry. Sorry. So but so what's what's demoralizing is that we're not out of the woods and that we can't take a break. We can't let our guard down. And 2022 election is now the most important election of my lifetime. And we just had two of those, you know, and I'm really fucking tired of it. But hope, right? Well, we're still in the fight. And the thing we need to understand that it's it's especially because of COVID, we're still kind of isolated and the people who want to destroy America and apparently American children, because there were 500,000 cases of COVID among children in the last couple of weeks, they're loud. You know, they get the attention. The people having the meltdowns in the restaurants and the airports, they get the attention. They go viral. There are so many more of us than there are of them. As witnessed in the California recall, there are so many more of us who want this country to be better, who want this country to get better. And we need to hang on to that. And also, and again, COVID made this really tough. We need to remember that we have each other because the only thing that's going to get us through this, I think, is community, remembering what matters, remembering that there are more of us, and also understanding that it's okay to tap out when you need to with the understanding that 
everybody else will keep the fight going. And, and, you know, we do need to take a break. Sometimes we do need to be really honest about the impact this is having. And that's why I think it's important when I have the chance to talk about my own PTSD. I came into Donald's administration already having complex PTSD, which I've had for decades. Can you explain the difference between PTSD and complex PTSD? Because I think it's uh, important for people. Yeah. And actually, it's a really good to, to make the distinction because people who are going to be suffering from PTSD because of COVID will most likely have complex PTSD. PTSD, typically post-traumatic stress disorder, is typically caused by one massive event, life-threatening event, or in which you witness violent death. It could be a car accident, a plane crash, a physical assault of some kind. Complex PTSD is, is trauma, a trauma that unfolds over time, like torture, or a trauma that's repeated over time. And I, again, I think that's what most people who end up being diagnosed with PTSD will have the complex version of it. Again, though, that'll be a small percentage. It'll be a larger percentage than normal, but it will be, there are other things. There's depression, there's anxiety, there's all sorts of stress-related disorders, et cetera. I think it's important to talk about because this country is quite bad, has always been quite bad about dealing with mental illness. You know, we treat mental health like it's a luxury and we treat mental illness like it's your own problem and you need to deal with it because there's means there's something wrong with you in a way that's suspect. But as far as I'm concerned, I have PTSD the way I have asthma. Not my fault. However, I have to deal with it, right? So the more we can normalize our approach to it, hopefully the more resources we'll throw at it understanding that this has been a global emergency. You know, it's affected all of us to some degree or another, even those of us who don't think it has. You know, there's a reason those people are throwing temper tantrums. That's exactly right. Maybe they didn't get what they were hoping to get from the Donald administration, right? Things didn't actually magically improve. Yeah, and because... People are notoriously unwilling to admit when they were wrong or admit when they were betrayed because they feel it's humiliating. They double down. And I think, you know, imagine containing those levels of cognitive dissonance for as long as they have. You know, you can't do that and be unaffected. That's um, a really important point when you're sort of seeing these outbursts from people. And I think one of the reasons we see them so much on our, is because it's such, I mean, it's like most lurid sort of reality television we can find, right? Because that the producer had nothing to do with, you know what I mean? That outburst, that woman turned the table over because she was just, or, you know, that woman slapped the uh, Navy member and the pizzeria in Connecticut because. No one told him to do it. Like the three Texas women who assaulted a waiter in a New York restaurant because she was following the law by asking for their vac- uh, proof of vaccination. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's also what happens. And you know, this is this is a big thing theme of my book. That's also what happens when you don't hold people accountable, when you don't hold them responsible for their behavior. 
And of course, you know, these are all white people and they're all acting out of their privilege because Donald modeled that behavior. Donald's been modeling that behavior forever. Right. And America has been modeling that behavior forever. Well, that too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, let's, you know, Robert E. Lee, who just got a shout out from Donald not too long ago because he was such a brilliant general who <laughs> could have gotten us out of Africa. Who knows? Who cares? Robert E. Lee owned and tortured other human beings. He was a traitor to this country and he was directly responsible for the death of hundreds of thousands of people. And with the exception of the first thing, uh, the second two kind of remind me of somebody, let me think. Oh, yes, my uncle. Robert E. Lee, not only did he not rot in prison for the rest of his life, he was president of Washington University, and it, which was posthumously renamed Washington Lee University. It's still called that. He had his, he'd had his citizenship taken away from him, I learned, yes. according to your book, and yet still became president of a university, which is still called Washington and Lee University. But guess what? When President Gerald Ford pardoned him in, I think, 1973 or four, his citizenship was reinstated because he was such a great guy. It's despicable. Quick question. I put the thing in 40 minutes ago. Should I check, check it? I think Mary Trump should go and check it and let me know what the center is doing. Is it wiggling? Is it jiggling? This is one of the most challenging parts of any cheesecake, um, vegan or not, is checking the whether or not it's done. Yeah, no, this is the work, the thing I'm worst at. It is soupy. Yeah, if it's too sloopy and, and soupy, then it's not done yet. The thing about the vegan cheesecake is it does a lot of it solidifying on its own out of the oven. And I think that really is sort of inspirational for all of us. <laughs> As you said, we need to tap out sometimes and just go <laughs> sit in our quiet. In ca the case of the cheesecake, chill. we need to chill out. And it, it solidifies and turns into something that really looks much more like cheesecake when it's been in the refrigerator. Well, well done. <laughs> and you know what's, what's really weird, though, is that... Um, you know, I, I've always, this will shock no one. Um, I've always been an introvert, like very introverted. And um, introverts recharge by isolating. Extroverts recharge by being among people. Wish you could see Mary Trump's face when she said that. She was like, who would do that? Who in God's name would energize <laughs> Um, And yet, you know, after COVID... Does anything feel like restorative? I don't know. But um, well, that actually is one of my questions. It all feels very ongoing. And I think the point you made earlier in this cheesecake is that it is it's OK to tap out. For many of us with school age children, let's just say I don't mean to just draw attention to people like me, but I am a, one of those peoples. I also profess at a universe, local university. And I had as close to an anxiety attack as I've had while on medication that prevents anxiety attacks before I went into the classroom for the first time in 18 months. Just before going into the classroom, two of my students told me one was sick with COVID, the other had to be quarantined in the past week. I've heard more tales of people who have been quarantined or know somebody or this or that to cases at my son's school. 
about a jillion at my daughter's university, right? Because it's a university. And there are lots of people with their mouths wide open, even if they're wearing masks. It feels like there's no escaping and kind of anything now. And how, how do, like, do, do we find escape? Like for the extroverts, what do we do? If you're dealing with trauma, right? Like, in the, can it be, can you use the case of trauma? Like if someone in a traumatic situation who's experiencing trauma long-term says there's no hope, what do you do? Well, one of the problems with trauma is that you can't recover from it while you're still being actively traumatized. So, you know, that's that's problematic. Um, I, I think, honestly, in some ways, a bigger issue is why we're still in this situation. We're in this situation because a virulent minority of people in this country have been led astray, lied to, and betrayed by people they put their trust in, like their Republican mayors, governors, representatives, senators, et cetera. I'm not letting anybody off the hook at all, but that's largely what happened. And I don't know about you guys, but that makes me really angry. So in addition to everything else, we are struggling with these quite heightened levels of rage. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I see it on the road. I, I mean, it, it sounds ridiculous, but so many more angry gestures. And this is New Jersey I live in, okay? And well, that's I, I really mean, saying something. <laughs> exactly. Angry gestures are kind of par for the course. It's worse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like people's only outlet. What's very interesting, though, is I've never seen anybody have a meltdown at somebody who's not wearing a mask. I mean, I overreact all the time. I, I am so hyper aroused by things that make me angry. It's awful. And, I, you know, I swear I was never an angry person. I feel like I'm angry all the time. But I'm not attacking waiters for asking me to show proof of vaccination. I love the person who asked me for proof of vaccination. So it's it's still different in how it's playing out. Like the way in which I'm not I'm angry isn't interfering with any other human being's ability to to life, liberty or the pursuit of happiness. Whereas that virulent minority is is doing exactly that to us. They are interfering with our constitutional right to live, to be free and to be happy. And the fact that other people are doing this to us and worse, doing it to our children, how can you not be, you know what I mean? Exactly. There's a feeling that I have right in the core of my chest that feel, it, just, it feels tightly wound, right? That um, there's sort of constant bubbling rage, I guess is the nice phrase. <laughs> and I hope we can get past that at some point. It just feels like there's little escape. One of the points that you made in your book, and it was a phrase I wrote down because it was so, uh, it was simple and clear. I mean, all your phrases were simple and clear. Don't get me wrong. It was a very clearly written book. I got a lot from it, but I wrote down the phrase bedrock trust. 
and you said but the bedrock trust that we have and yes it is a privilege of like white people to have a bedrock trust in government but it's gone away it's going to take a new breed of politicians to sort of to bring it back because we were hoping everything was going to be better and Mr. McConnell's up to his old tricks, right? Kevin McCarthy's up to his old tricks. The political wing of the judiciary is up to, oh, wait, we're not supposed to have a political wing of the judiciary. Yeah, well, they say it's not partisan, so I have to believe them. Yeah, and they said it's not a good idea for it to be partisan. So you know how that works. So healing is a possibility. What do you think that we should do? Like, what what will help us as as a country? It's a big, you know, like, I think when you probably went to school, to psychology school, as we like to say, um, when you went to psychology school, it wasn't like you were just meant to heal people individually and not as a group. So I, I realize it's a big task. But what is it that we need to realize in order to to make the next step? One thing we need to realize, and and again, this is hard. This is, let's just keep using the analogy. America is traumatized. Our country is suffering from PTSD as many of us as individuals are. When you're an individual with PTSD, in order to reach some level of healing, because you can't, it's something that's not, you can't cure it. You, you just learn how to live with it and moderate it and not let it affect you as much as it might otherwise. You are asked to do something that's almost impossible. You are asked to relive not just the trauma, but the feelings that accompanied it. Because that's what happens. The, the trauma is so severe that it splits the emotion from the fact. So, you know. You can think about what happened to you very dispassionately, but then it remains separate and untouchable. So the feelings are still there, having a very negative impact on your life because you've never allowed yourself to process them. And that, by the way, is is kind of a form of torture in itself because it feels like it's going to kill you. So as a country, we need to realize that um, we're not, never going to get over this. I mean, uh, I write about how the day after the six, 2016 election, I wrote down three words. I don't remember what they are, but I think it was demeaned, debased, and diminished. This country will never get over the stain that was Donald's administration, the fact that 62 million people voted for him in 2016 and that 74 million people voted for him in 2020. But we need to face that because if we don't face how that happened, then it's going to keep happening. You know, you can sort of say the same thing happened after September 11th. We squandered that incredible, what felt to me on September 12th, like global unity And instead of taking that as an opportunity to do some soul searching, we gave in to our need for vengeance and retribution. And look what good that did us. So 
One thing this country is terrible at doing is telling the truth about itself. Um, and it's interesting that um, as embodied by Donald, it's become unfashionable for adults to take responsibility for their actions. <laughs> you know, like we're all running around like a bunch of prepubescent hormonal people uh, who just can't take any responsibility for anything they do. But if, again, if you don't face the truth, and this is what's happening on the right, they want, they will not have the conversation about the fact that this is a racist country. It's just not something that happened in the past. They want to elide our entire history in order to promote, promote their favorite narrative, which is fascinating because the Republican Party right now has as one of its major platforms, white supremacy. <laughs> right. So, I'm going to go check on my sloop real quick. Go check on the sloopy cheesecake. Because it's been like 12 minutes. Yeah, I think you should go check. Like jello. That's good. That's good. Right, I'll turn the oven off and leave it in there. Yep. So she's going to turn the oven off right now and um, leave the door slightly ajar just to keep it from cracking. It's a little more, it's as prone to cracking as regular cheesecake. Is cracking really a problem with cheesecake is something that I could bring up in my own personal episode of Cheesecakes Are Us because <laughs> like, oh, my cheesecake cracked. It's the end of the world. You must steam it and do this and that. I really don't see it. I don't think there's a problem. It's going to taste just as good. And why do you have raspberries, strawberries, chocolate sauce, caramel sauce? Covers up the cracks, people. It doesn't matter. No one, no one's looking. Slice through the crack. Make that your <laughs> you first know. slice. You know, no one's going to know. Um, so don't worry if your cheesecake cracked. That's one thing America doesn't need to worry about. And I, along with Mary Trump, want to uh, alleviate worry in this country. And that's what I'm helping you with, I hope, right now. That's <laughs> a massive contribution, especially considering I did not know that this was something people were. Oh, God, I gave and I took away. I don't even know. So um, <laughs> for those out there who were in a support group for people worried about cheesecake cracking, maybe get a pet. So <laughs> um once your cheesecake comes out, once it's take it out of the oven in about 10 minutes, let it cool down and then give it, cover it so it doesn't take on the smells and odors of your refrigerator. Another worry we have, people, and refrigerate it for at least eight hours. I'm sorry. You can stick your finger in in about six hours and just see what it's like. Deferred gratification is also something that people can't handle anymore. They can't handle it. it the, we, America has failed the marshmallow test. I'd like to wrap up this uh, podcast in the way that we were really supposed to start the podcast. We had an interesting conversation right before we began where I was talking with Grant, our producer, and you, and we asked ourselves the polite question that many humans start off a conversation with, which is, hi, how are you? And Grant uh, offered up some very nice answers like, adjusted for pandemic, I'm doing great. What's your answer to that question? How are you doing, Mary? Don't ask me that question. That's <laughs> my answer. I'm actually thinking of getting a t-shirt. Don't ask me how I am. And I don't mean it to be, I don't mean to be rude. The, the reason is because I don't know most of the time how I'm doing. And unless you have several hours at your disposal to <laughs> let me figure it out, 
in real time. <laughs> I really don't know. And probably a lot of times I, I'm glad. <laughs> I don't, don't want to know. And and that's not unreasonable for us to not want to face all the feelings that we're having. It's not bad for us. We don't have to face all the feelings, do we, Mary? No. In fact, I highly recommend against it unless you have a really good therapist. Seriously. Unless you have a trained professional right in front of you at the moment. Yeah, because look, I, I mean, this is this is where you started. It, we're not just dealing with our own stuff. The world is a very difficult, frightening place right now. A lot of what we thought we could count on, we can't count on. Grants adjusted for pandemic could be adjusted for fascism, adjusted for conspiracy theories, uh, adjusted for the fact that the American experiment is on the precipice. There is so much that I I think we do. I mean, we need to be really honest about to ourselves about how we're doing and not pretend like that was something I noticed sort of fairly early on at the beginning of these horrors, which, as you know, started in New York and New Jersey, was that people who were still able to work from home, who weren't in danger of losing their homes or people who continue to have the ability to take care of their children and feed them and all that stuff. Back then, when we asked, how are you? They'd say, you know what? I have no right to complain. I'm so lucky because of all these things. Well, you know what? It's not complaining. It's been terrible. No matter how fortunate you are, this has been a terrible, terrible century. I I don't know. I mean, and for some of us, it's been this terrible since November 2016. Just the horrors have kind of compounded. So don't evade. I mean, yes, in polite conversation, it's fine to do that. But, you know, we're not okay. And it's okay not to be okay and be honest about it and be, you know, figure out what you need uh, to get better. And um, because also, you know, when, when we're so overwhelmed, it's hard to do the relatively easy things that would normally make us feel better, like exercise or eat right. I mean, I know that's a struggle for me because I'm just stressed out of my mind a lot of times and it's enervating. Give yourself a break and be kind to yourself is what I would say to people. I think that is a fantastic message to um, end the podcast on because I think it's something that bears repeating. In fact, it could become our own mantra. The idea that it's okay to tap out and just as much as I should be, exercising more, sometimes I do have to crawl onto the couch with the fluffy blanket. And that's okay. We are giving you all permission. (laughs) It's okay. I think we drive ourselves way too hard. And for all the reasons from John Winthrop on down that we do it, it's it's been rough and we can give ourselves a little time and a little cheesecake. Even if it's vegan. Even if it's vegan cheesecake, because it still is very satisfying. And the good thing to know about cheesecake is you can freeze it. So you can always have a slice ready in the freezer. And worst case scenario, there's always the amazing graham cracker or Oreo crust. (laughs) (laughs) Mary Trump, as ever, it's been a pleasure to have you here on The Secret Life of Cookies. Thank you for baking along with me in your way. The recipe for this delight will be available on marissarothkopf.com. And I look forward to seeing how your cheesecake turns out. I will report back tomorrow. 
Thanks for joining us on The Secret Life of Cookies. Thanks to Mary Trump for being a brave and adventurous cook among her other incredible talents. Please go to marissarothkopf.com for the recipe and share this podcast far and wide so that I don't get visited upon by the ghosts of my parents wondering why my brother's podcast is more popular than mine. Thank you so much. Have a great week.